You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the second episode of Across the Romaverse, a Chiesa di Totti podcast. Um, I'm joined once again by Sean and Steve. Um, like I said last time, we're going to hopefully try and branch it out and get some other folks in here. Jimmy's still a little bit busy in the real world, but he definitely wants to join us. Um, so I wanted to start off with just a little bit of house cleaning from our first episode. Uh, we got a lot of great feedback from everybody, um, so I thank you for that. So keep it coming, whether it's positive, negative, if you have any uh, actual technical or broadcasting things that would help us out as well. Um, we did have a bit of a hiccup trying to get the podcast actually spread out and distributed on Spotify, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. Um, so sort of one of the benefits and drawbacks of our site is that we're part of a larger media conglomeration. So a lot of stuff, uh, once I say, hey, we want to start a podcast, is sort of out of my hands. And um, there was just sort of a change in personnel that made it a bit more difficult to distribute. Um, than it otherwise would have been but I have verified we are on Spotify we are on Stitcher and iTunes um, I'm not sure how many people listen to podcasts on iHeartRadio or things like that but we can also do that uh, so I just wanted to start again with a little house cleaning uh, in particular for the Americans on the podcast here um, Steve and I were flagged by the what I'll call the pronunciation police <laughs> so I thought, I thought we'd uh, just to defend myself a bit on that so I um, grew up uh, speaking English, obviously, I took Spanish as my second language because as much as I wanted to take Italian, my seventh grade guidance counselor said, hey, it's a great language, but there's not a ton of use for it in America. So I studied Spanish. So I'm going to refer to Sean for a second because Sean is our resident European. And please correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. You've also lived in Italy at various points in your life, right? I have, yeah. Okay, so the person for whom our website is named after, how would you pronounce his name? Totti. Totti. Okay. Steve, how about yeah. you? Totti. <laughs> okay. I thought, you know, I thought, honest to goodness, that's how I was saying it, Francesco Totti. But I had some people on our message board sort of uh, giving us flack, me and you, about it. Um, so there is this really awesome website uh, for those of us ignorant Americans who only speak like maybe one and a half languages, because uh, my Spanish isn't that great. Um, but it's called Forbo, F-O-R-B-O. So immediately after I read those comments, I went on here just to for my own edification to see how bad I was. So let's see how the computer says it. Francesco Totti. Sounds pretty close, right? I think so. You just got to put that extra little bit of stank on it, that extra little bit of flavor, I think. Francesco Totti. Yeah. 
If you, I, I promise you, if you say his full name, it just comes naturally to to. It's a, it's an alliteration, you know. But if 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 it's just if you're just saying Totti, it's you know you can say Totti, Totti, Totti. But yeah, it, when, when you say Francesco, it's like it just comes out naturally. <laughs> that sounds good. Did you, did you find you had trouble adjusting when you went there with your pronunciation? Were people sort of um, critical of you? Yeah, uh, really. <laughs> Italians are actually they're not so much. You, you actually have to work hard to get to the critical stage with Italians. They, at first, they'll just ignore you straight up. You, you'll <laughs> you'll get ostracized from society because um, if you don't speak Italian, you know, they, they don't make the effort. So wow. uh, you re, you really go work hard to the point where they actually criticize you, and, and then you're just so grateful for them telling you you're doing this wrong. That you know, like, wow, someone's talking to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of funny. As Americans, we're always told when you go abroad that they'll appreciate the effort, no matter how mangled it might be. But you're telling me that's not true <laughs> in Italy. <laughs> it's, it's, it was rough for me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe other people have different experiences. I, I'd love to hear from. Uh, you know, uh, so how would, how would you uh, describe your comfortability with speaking Italian? Would you say you're fluent, intermediate? Now, now I am, yes, but yeah? it's been since yeah, it's been since 2011. So I, you know, I've I've taken my time with it. But wow. uh, I tell you what, the the best advice is always get a girlfriend from the country, <laughs> and you learn fast. <laughs> that's what happened. I guess the only foreign national I ever dated was an Australian, so I picked up a lot of that uh, their lingo and their colloquialism. So that's good. Okay. When I got when I got there, I heard all these words. The first time I got to Australia, it was actually my first time ever on an airplane. I landed at the airport. Um, it was like July, so that's their kind of winter. And the lady was picking us up. She's like, "Do you have a jumper?" I was like, "What?" I'm like, "Your car's dead. You like you like jumper cables?" And she starts like, oh, "Sure." I was like, "Oh, a sweatshirt." I was like, "Okay, yeah." I get that. <laughs> so that was me as an ignorant 22 year old American. And then when we walked out to the car, I just instinctually walked to the right hand side, thinking I was a passenger. So she goes, "Oh, you want to drive to?" <laughs> it's just like, it was, a, it was a crash course in being ignorant. Was was this the the was this the graphic designer girlfriend? <laughs> no, no, that was that was much later. No, no, this was, uh, I did a semester in Melbourne. This was the woman from the school who picked a bunch of us up. And she just literally just looked at me. She's like, do you have a jumper? And I honestly and sincerely just thought maybe the bus was dead. Because <laughs> we don't call them jumpers yeah. in America, but we have jumper cables. Um, Steve, yeah. what's, your, uh, what's your other language? What did you study growing up? Uh, Italian. Oh, you did? Yeah, and a little bit of Spanish in college. Okay. See, the Spanish I can do. So we're going to talk yeah. a bit about some Spanish players today. Um, yeah, so that was just a little bit of housekeeping I wanted to talk about. Uh, but once again, everyone, thank you for listening. Hopefully now that it's uh, actually, you know, available, we'll get more people listening to it, more people giving us some feedback. Uh, so we are, we wanted to do this a couple of days ago. Um, so I apologize for the delay on this. So we're going to just talk a little bit about last weekend's match against Juventus, um, which obviously ended in a... 2-2 draw, if I'm not mistaken. Um, time was clicking. I forgot already. Uh, so let's start with you, Steve. What were your uh, – going into the match, what were you expecting? Because I know we talked about last week how we all thought it would take just sort of a Herculean effort from Jekka to win the game, but that wasn't the case. So what, did, what were your impressions going into it? What did you think as you're watching it, and what did you think afterwards when you saw the outcome? Yeah, so if you told me going in we were going to pull out a 2-2 draw, I would have said sign me up every day of the week for that. But yeah, then exactly. as you start to watch the match and you see how it plays out, looking back, the 2-2 became a disappointment because of the way the match played out with Rabio's red card, uh, Jekko's missed chances, Mkhitaryan missed a good chance. So then it was like disappointing. We didn't get the three points. But my biggest takeaway is the positive was just that we went toe-to-toe with Juve. And for large part, portions of the match, I say we outplayed them. 
Uh, Fonseca certainly outgame planned Pirlo, I thought, um, going into the match. The counterattack looked very strong. They had a few good chances on the counter, including that Absolutely. second goal, which was beautiful. Um, you know, the first half, you had the unfortunate handball on Pellegrini, which tied the game, but they responded quickly. They didn't um, back down to Juve once Juve tied the match, which I thought was the most impressive part of it. And then, you know, Rabio gets the red card, and you figure, you know, we're in pretty good shape here. We're up a man, up a goal. And, you know, I, I think they got a little too tentative. I don't think they tried to kill the match off like they should have. You know, those Jekyll missed chances hurt because a third goal wins that match. I don't think Juve scores two down a man. But with Ronaldo, you know, they found a way to get that goal. He just out jumps everybody, gets the head on the ball, and the ball goes in the net. And then Roman never really had an answer for that. Um, and I don't want to criticize Fonseca too much because I thought he did game plan well. But I wish he would have used uh, a sub or two up front, maybe bring in – uh, Chloe Vert or Perez for one of the older players. Um, something like that, I think, was what would have maybe gotten them over the top. Yeah, I, I had that same thought too when I was watching that. I think I even tweeted out. Um, it just really seems like, man, he's going to just going to run Pedro and Mkhitaryan into the ground as long as he can because it doesn't seem like he completely trusts the younger players yet in such an important match, at least. Uh, Sean, what did you make of last weekend's draw? I. I can't remember how, how I felt going into the game, what my expectations were. But uh, when when it kicked off, I was impressed. I, I felt like the walls were closing in around the 25th minute or so when they, they kept getting corner after corner after corner after corner. And I think that was uh, I think that was at nil-nil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they just felt like they were ready to change, like ramp up the gear, you know, be Juventus, um, get a goal, and then sort of like shut up shop for the rest of the half. And, and you know, I, I felt like if that had happened, I knew how the game was going to end. Um, but we broke free of that pressure. We actually, we, we got out of their press. We started to balance the game. We kept it in the balance. And uh, I felt like that was something I hadn't seen from a, from a Roma-Juventus game in a while. Um, and then the other thing is, as uh, Stephen mentioned, you know, getting set, you know, set back of conceding the penalty in the first half, but then coming immediately straight out the gate and uh, getting back on top to 2-1, you know, that, that's, that's a really good sign. So I like that. Uh, second half, yeah, uh, after we, they went down to 10 men, I, I would have preferred to have seen, like Stephen said, someone come to, come to move to the you know, to the front of the pitch to kind of exploit the, the one-man advantage. And we, we didn't do that. We, we had all our men back. We were outnumbering Cristiano Ronaldo um, in defense, and yet still somehow that wasn't enough. So, Right, yeah, you guys bring up good points. The thing that I'm sort of noticing is, um, I know at least myself, I played a lot of basketball as a kid, and it just seems like um, Fonseca doesn't have his sixth man uh, to borrow basketball term. He doesn't have a preferred first person off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and coaches past, it always seemed like it was either if you needed a goal, it was El Sharawi coming out or maybe Parati, depending on the state of the game and what exactly it needed. But you knew with Spalletti and with EDF, um, generally speaking, who the first two or three people off the bench would be. But um, right. I mean, we're like, what, I don't know, 14 months into Fonseca, and I still don't really know. Like, on the surface, it seems like it would be Carlos Perez, just simply because he has his uh, agility and athleticism to come in and affect the game, regardless of what's going on. Yeah. But, do you, Steve, we'll start with you. Do you, do you think it's just um, Fonseca's unsatisfied? He doesn't feel like he has enough players or maybe he's still filling them out? Is it sort of a quantity versus quality thing? I'm wondering if with this match here, it had a, more to do with the youth that was available on the bench. Um, okay. Because, you know, I, I just kind of thought of this now because 
in the restart, he didn't seem to have a problem playing Perez in any of those matches when he did go to him. Yeah, but in right. this match, I'm wondering if having those two veterans up front, he felt was more important than bringing in a, a Cloyvert or a Perez um, and worrying about one of them maybe making a mistake or something. Because it seems like he hasn't had a problem using players like Cloyvert and even a little bit of VR in the restart. I thought even VR might have been a better option than DOR to push for a second goal since, like Sean said, we were outnumbering Ronaldo with our three-man defense. And, you know, with three defenders back, you shouldn't really have a problem that you need a holding midfielder. So I'm wondering if youth was the issue here more than the depth aspect of it, but that, that could just be me reading too much into it. I don't know. Could be. Um, you, you know, since we're on the subject there, so we are going to talk uh, a lot about transfers, but um, it seems like every year there's like one or two, at least within our own community, one or two players who sort of bear the, the burden of criticism. Um, we talked, and I've written certainly about how that falls on the Roman players and that sort of odd dichotomy, why it's sort of, expected but also unfair uh, but we're seeing it a little bit so far this year with Amadou Diawara and Sean as his biggest defender um, how do you think he's doing so far <laughs> like you can you can answer Just that whole, I, I, well you can answer that whole I, I, I come with, I said, no go ahead okay it's because I, I said I'd come with a, a DLR rant ready, right? <laughs> well, no, yeah, but you've also um, you've also written a lot about him, and I think the one thing is what he does well is so subtle. So, I mean, I think that if I'm reading the yeah. of the room correctly, in our, at least in our message board, that some people think maybe he's a little too passive or a little what he does. Yeah, is, so, some is, people is think he's useless. Yeah, yeah. What, so, what do you make of him? I, in, I think it's in, not... this, in this tactical setup, what do you make of him? I. I I do get the criticism that he struggles in a in a two in a double pivot in a two man deep midfield. He does struggle to share the the responsibility with other people. Um, he loves to to switch, you know, exchange balls with the defense and be you know really the chief of the build up play. Uh, and we need to see more of him uh, beyond that. In, if we're going to make a a four man, you know in the loose sense of the word, four-man midfield work in this 3-4-2-1. He needs to be able to um, do more than just recycle the ball. But uh, his game is far from superfluous, you know, or superfluous, however you want to pronounce it. Um, it's, I mean, when, when, he, when he came on against Juve, it was like I, I looked at the, the possession stats after the game, and in the final 15 minutes, it, the, the difference was ridiculous. You know, we, we went from having 40% of the ball all game to 52% possession, you know, actually edging at the majority for the, for the final few minutes until Juve just played keep ball in, in, in yeah, sudden death, trying to you know, kill out the tie. Um, and there's Diawara, um, like really pressing, you know, pinning back Juve players against their own byline. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to move the ball out and he's, he's already intercepting. Um, he's cutting out the passes. He's, he, he's getting the, the ball back to Roma. It's you know I I just he's his defensive numbers are monstrous for for how little time he spent playing at Roma. Yes, he's had injury problems, but when he's been fit, he's head and shoulders above everyone else defensively. Really, uh, I mean, he outside of Chris uh, Chris Smalling and and Gianluca Mancini, there's no one better than him in terms of winning the ball back. So I I don't know what people want. Uh, you know, my my rant here is that. I've heard comments about Diawara being slow. I don't, yeah. I don't understand how people can see that. I mean, I think 
if you're if you're a coach and you send one guy on the pitch and imagine you have you imagine you have a stopwatch and you send one guy on the pitch you tell him okay bring me the ball back guy comes back he you know he stands in front of his opponent he sees the ball coming first cuts out the ball he comes back to you after four seconds he goes hey coach I won the ball you get player number two you send him on the pitch and you know this guy he he you tell him bring me the ball back guy misses the the chance to cut out the ball first he runs back real fast to recover you know, does a sliding tackle, whatever you want, looks heroic about it, comes back after eight seconds, says, I got the ball, but coach, by the way, got myself booked. You know, sorry about that. Uh, you know, send me out for the second half. I mean, who are you going to be more secure about over 90 minutes? For me, Diawara is guy number one. He, he's, he's one of the sharpest guys on the team. He, 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 a, a, bet, a good read of the game is always better than, than huffing and puffing away around the pitch for me. Um, I I think he's one of the fastest players we have. Uh, you know, our site is called Chiesa di Totti. Francesco Totti was the epitome of this. He, he was never his game was never based on physical speed, but he was still one of the, the guys who made the play first before anyone else could even think about it. And for me, that's the potential of, of Amadou Duara. That was great pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just want to say one thing too with a guy, a guy like Diawara, the way Sean described it, if he you know just cuts into the passing lane and just gets it back quickly without having to hustle or sprint and slide tackle, there's almost like a nonchalance to that which doesn't wow people. Um, but he's getting the job done, and I I think Sean made a great point about the defensive numbers and you know he does move the ball well, but because he doesn't score the big goals or you know make some of those eye-popping challenges, it might not stand out to some more casual viewers than a guy like Sean who really looks at those aspects of the game. Yeah, I'm also wondering, um, I took it not as so much as physical speed, but uh, speed and decision-making speed. Is he maybe thinking too much, not reacting quickly enough, and that's in turn slowing down, particularly the transition play, Sean? What do you think about that? I I mean, how long does he actually hold hold on to the ball? I, I think he he's a give and go player. So I mean, maybe I just don't see it. Maybe I'm biased, but I, I would take I'll take a second look at it. But I really feel yeah. like he's, he's sharp. I know, you know, you and I talked about that. I think um, in context of Manuela Giuliano, we talked about exactly how long is she on the ball. Um, that's as far as I know. At least all the site the sites I uh, peruse, there's no particular stat about that I think that would take someone separately with a stopwatch timing it but yeah I think that would be a lot of information to glean from that quite frankly so um all right so that was Juventus I think uh Steve you nailed it on the head if you would have told us prior to that that would have been a 2-2 draw uh that would have been great um but again I think what I wrote in the recap was it just felt like they had that match in their hand that sort of slipped away and that made it seem probably more worse than it was but oh let's talk about that Ronaldo goal real quick because I know we had uh, a bit of um a disagreement on the message board as to who, quote-unquote, whose fault was that that let Ronaldo mm. get through. Keeping in mind that he made a hell of a leap and he headed the ball home anyway. But if he looked at it, he sort of just breezed past everybody. Um, I know, Sean, you put up that great still image the next day. What did you – when you had a, a longer look at it, what did you think? What was sort of the, uh, the linchpin, that disaster, everything that knocked it over? What was the cause of that? Uh, most of all, Leonardo Spinazzola. But oh, yeah? it was – yeah, the, the lion's share of the responsibility has to go to him, in my view. Um, but it was a, it was a weird build-up, I'll give you that, because the, the strangest thing about it was we had Bruno Perez inside the, the far post yeah. and Leonardo Spinazzola defending the half space, the, you know, the other edge of the goal penalty area on the, other, on, the, on the near side. 
So, and you had four, five of our defenders in all in that space. And Madas Kumbala looked like he was just trying to wedge himself in there because there was so little room. But, you know, why, why are we, why do we have five men defending less than 30 yards of, of space across? It's, it's not needed. Um, we, we were dropping back, like Stephen said, you know, to your first question, we, we were just playing really conservative and just waiting for it to happen. And uh, it was trained for, to make it so easy for Ronaldo to peel off and just really walk behind Bruno Perez's shoulder. So I, I could understand why, on first sight, people would think, oh, well, Perez, Perez lost his man. But uh, it's, it starts with Spinazzola, who uh, should be playing a what, what we call in Italian a diagonale, which is really just you, you move up out, out of your defensive line and push up on the, on the near side opponent um, so that he can't just be open to cross the ball. Um, if we're playing that narrow, you need your, your near side defender to be pushing up, and Spinozola wasn't doing that. And uh, then it got even worse. After after he let Danilo by him, he actually tries to catch up with him, and that only leads to Spinozola being the only man to actually play Cristiano Ronaldo on side when the cross is made. So it's, it's mostly his fault. But also keep in mind, Mancini and Mirante could have done better in the box. So. Yeah, Septi's defending. Um, nothing new there. Uh, okay, so that was a 2-2 draw in the grand scheme of things. Pretty good against Juventus. Uh, so let's shift gears completely. And we are recording this on October 1st. So we have four days until the transfer window closes, I believe. Um, so today we did our sort of semi-normal rumor update because um, when we start off the day and there's nothing really too scintillating or too juicy, we just sort of do a catch-all. Uh, so let's start off with the new vice Jekko. Borja Meral. So I took Spanish. So I think that's a pretty uh, decent pronunciation. So Borja Meral coming from Better than me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we got Kambula. Do you speak Albanian too? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they call him Max apparently, so I can handle that. Uh, anyway, yeah. so Meral coming from ostensibly from Real Madrid. Um, so what do we what do we make this movie? He's coming on a two year loan, and we have options in each of the two summers. I think uh, June twenty twenty, I think will be fifteen million, and the following year will be twenty million. Um, seems pretty steep for a kid his age who has not scored a ton of goals. Uh, Steve, what do you make of him? A and B, how do you see him fitting in? So I don't know too much about him as a player, but I know we've been clamoring for a young striker, a potential heir to Jekyll for some time now. So at least this move compared to like a Kalinich move and some of the other ones we've seen in the past is a little bit more of a, a potential to be an heir to Dzeko. Um I haven't seen too much video or anything on him yet. Uh, I know he played at Levante the past couple seasons, so he yeah. hasn't, it's not like he's been playing for Real Madrid in the Champions League or anything, but um, at least it checks that box and it is a loan with an option to buy. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, but at least I'm, I'm glad they did go for a younger player with potential rather than an older player just to fill a roster spot for this year. Yeah, I, I watched uh, some of the videos uh, this morning after writing that piece, and um, there's not a lot of goals in there. Uh, he's mm. definitely a, a different sort of player from Jekko, at least in physical appearances. He's, um, I'm looking, 182 centimeters. Uh, I don't know what that is in standard English or American system, but... Um, a little bit smaller than Jekko, but I was impressed with sort of his close control. And it looked like, despite his uh, smaller stature, he was pretty good at holding up play, pretty good at getting out of a long ball. But again, not a ton of goals. He scored eight last year in 34 appearances. Um, that's not mm. great. Not great. 
Uh, prior to that, he had three with Levante the prior year, um, and then three with Real Madrid in the 17-18 season. Uh, so we're not talking about a prolific guy, but again, he's only 23. Um, Sean, do you know much at all about this guy? How do you see him fitting in? Is he one for the future, or is it merely just Kalinic for 21? I, I don't know any more than, than the next guy. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you guys have seen him play more than me. Um, I, the only thing I can think of in his defense in terms of his goal records, which I'm just finding about now, as, he, as he's telling me, is that he was playing at Levante. I, I don't know whether Levante see a lot of the ball in, in, in La Liga or not. Um, last year they finished 12th in, in, the, in the table so I imagine that it's going to be pretty hard to uh, harder to get goal chances there than it would be at Roma in Serie A um, you know he's playing at a, a more dominant club in, in terms of the context of Italy Roma would see more of the ball this year you, you assume he'll get more chances I mean we've we've done a good job in our first two games of getting clear cut chances for Pedro Mkhitaryan um, and the second game was Dzeko so uh, I like his finishing in the box from what I've seen. He looks like uh, he has that, you know, Italians say cattiveria is what you want in the box. The, the guy who will really break his neck and, and sell his grandmother to, to get a goal. And he has that, that kind of quality about him where he just, he really, really wants to, to bury it in the back of the net. And uh, as you guys have said, I think he, he fights for the, the long ball as well, you know, throws himself about and, and wins that long ball. And that's, that's all you can ask for at this point. I feel like at this point you're throwing your Italian in my face. How good you are! <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking at him. You might be right on that. I'm looking last year in his 34 appearances. So he said eight goals, two assists. Um, he only averaged 1.4 shots per game. That's uh, not a whole lot. Um, but I did look uh, briefly this morning. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but he was over 60% on target, and his conversion rate was 25%. Um, so you got to take the conversion with, with a grain of salt because there's a lot of variation from year to year, even in top players. They could be yeah. over, over 21 here and maybe down like 14 or 15. Um, well, I, th- I think if, if you look at – I remember there's an article from Ultimo Uomo. I'm really not trying to throw it in your face, but yeah, that's, that's what it's called. <laughs> um, where they, they did the, a comparison of the, the greatest goal scorers of the last decade. And I think even the top players in that, in that article only got a conversion rate of about 29%. So it's not – yeah, 29? Yeah. That's really good. Exactly. So yeah, he, Jekka's usually around half of that at his best, well, I think, like 18 <laughs> or 19. Well, there you go. So it's, it sounds like this this new kid is a finisher. Yeah, uh, hopefully. I, I, I saw, like, my first saw him, I'm like, guys, oh, the shorter Jekka, but then you watch him play, he does a lot of the same things. So it's, it's hard to discern if this is just sort of a, a depth move or are they really playing for the future here? Um, mm. we, we, I always say we when we refer to Roma we don't have much coming up uh, we had uh, uh, I'm just going to try the way I'd say it Zahn Scheller um, yeah. tore it up with the Primavera uh, went to Cittadella how was that, was that good, Cittadella? yeah, Cittadella yep. yep. <laughs> alright, I'll drop that yeah, so he went there, didn't do much then where did he go for that, Sean? Cremonese? yeah, Cremonese um, he I don't know. He, he hasn't. He's been in and out the clubs at, at in and out both uh, sides, and he's he's also had a, I think he's had a stomach tear or something like that. So he's he's had a, he's picked up a couple of niggling injuries along the way. He hasn't had continuity so far. But yeah, it's hard to tell if he's sort of the cause or the symptom. They just have not had luck developing strikers at all over the past, God, God decade. Yeah, and, and I remember from my Primavera research I did in those pieces over the break, yeah. they, they've had players who've scored at the Primavera level. I can't remember the couple Italian kids, and then there was Ponce. Tominello. 
Yeah, yeah. Tuminello, uh, Tumi Gold, right? They called him, and yeah. and he never panned out. You know, um, I know Skamaka was kind of the one that got away. He's SSful now. There were some rumors about him before the Mayoral stuff came around, but um, I would have loved that move, by the way. Yeah, so he he left early before he even really got to the Primavera level when he went to. Um, PSV, I think. PSV, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, but they just – it seems like no matter how much they score at the Primavera level, these guys don't uh, transition well to Roma from a striker standpoint. So that's uh, certainly an interesting caveat with their Primavera development is that the strikers don't seem to pan out at the higher level. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, in in the wider context of Primavera and City in general, right, I wonder how true that is of all clubs. Really. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's a big – that's one of those positions, too. You might be a little more advanced at a younger age and you're scoring goals. Maybe you're a little more physically mature, and then it <laughs> kind of catches up to you when you get – to the next level exactly yeah. same kind of thing you see with baseball here in the states you got a kid who's throwing in the 70s in little league and he's blowing everybody away but sooner or later other guys mature and they catch up to you you know those like danny almonte types yeah was that, that you steve no <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if i was even hitting in the 70s yeah. on varsity but <laughs> uh, I, I used to get a, lot of, a lot of strange looks in little league because i've i've had this voice you're hearing since i was like 12 when I play in like 11, 12 year olds, like I think a lot of uh, opposition's parents thought I was like secretly an eighth or ninth grader. <laughs> yeah, like check the birth certificate. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm Italian. We reached our peak earlier, I guess. Um, so, what I'm wondering about this mayoral move, we won't know obviously for years. Do you think this will preclude them from signing somebody like a Milik or Belotti or somebody like that? To me, when I read this move, I'm like, okay, it's just this year's version of Kalinich. So, Looking ahead maybe a year from now, do you think we'll see more striker transfer moves? And if so, who might it be? Because they have to do something about Jekko sooner or later. Yeah, I think you'll still see that, especially because it's a loan, two-year loan with option to buy, depending on how like, well he plays. I what I should have said is, will we see credible ones? Because we always see striker moves. But this year, yeah, anything honed in on, on Milik like we did so intently for so short a period of time. I mean, I think for one, it probably depends on if Fonsec is still the manager and what he values in a player, I guess, too, would be a factor. But I think depending on if Dzeko's gone after next year or not, then you're going to need another striker. And, you know, depending on how Milik's situation plays out or maybe a Belotti, maybe Torino's terrible again and he tries to get his way out of there. I mean, you need two credible strikers if you want to be a quote-unquote big club like Rum wants to be a competitive club. And I think it also depends on where we finish this year, if we can – manage our way into the top four and we're in a Champions League spot and there's a little more money coming in, then maybe you could splash the cash and try to be competitive in the Champions League with a um, second really good striker maybe. Right. Yeah, that Milik thing, it seems like he was close to Spurs and that's falling apart. So he might just be stuck waiting a year. Wow. Maybe he'll come back. (laughs) Uh, Let's see what else. So we're going to talk about transfers again. So uh, this morning for, I don't know, the 40th or 50th time, uh, we heard that Roma made another offer for Chris Smalling. But, you guys, this one's really, really super close. Uh, <laughs> what the hell is going on with your country? You're asking me? Yeah, what's your country? What's going on with, them? What's going on with Chris Smalling? Uh, what do you think? I mean, I, I hear more from the Italian side than I do from the, from here in England. I, I hear Chris Smalling rejecting clubs left, right, and center and, and really making it as uh, as clear as he can in, in his Chris Morning style, where he you know he's not one to really kick up a fuss, but just stay on point. Um, he's been telling United the whole time that he just wants one club, and that's Roma. And uh, it looks like it's just a case of 
uh, well, I mean, what we've heard from Cordelia de los Bos today and, and other reporters is that all, all parties have come to the table today and, uh, you know, expectations have come far more to middle ground. But we don't know what that means because we're talking about 5 million euros here. So, how, you know, how much middle ground is that to be found? Either someone coughs up or, or they don't. Yeah, and it's really literally nothing has changed since like March. So it's kind of, I, I, they're really lucky that Smalling wants to come back because I mean, all intents and purposes, they lost them several times over. Yeah. By now. I, yeah. Over. I'd say that's a big match for Fonseca, by the way, for people who doubt him. You know, he's clearly got um, players on his side who, who believe in, in what he does on, on the training pitch because you know, Chris Smalling would have the pick of clubs if he wanted to, but he wants to come back and play for Roma. Yeah, I, I agree with that because after the season he had last year and how long this has dragged out for, there have been other clubs, rumored big clubs, that he could have easily said, you know what, let's kick the tires on a move to Inter or mm-hmm. another big club in, in the UK and, and been, you know, you know, I wanted Roma, but they took too long and he's, he's held out. So that I think that is uh, positive for the club and the coach. And I know a lot of people are complaining about the potential of spending 20 million euros on him at his age, which I think he's 30 right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if you get him for another two, three solid seasons, and then you know, it's a four-year deal or something, and the last year he kind of ends up like Fazio is now. If he helps you win for a couple of years and qualify for the Champions League, I'll you know, twenty million is not the end of the world in in this day and age in the transfer market. You know, you'd like a little less, but if that's what it takes to get him from United, and that's what Fonseca needs to mentor these younger center backs, then I think so be it at this point. So, Sean. Yeah. Let's presume we, we wake up tomorrow or whenever uh, and we see the official announcement, Chris Smalling's back. What do you think would be Roma's top backline? Who would Fonseca's top three choices be? I was just thinking about that an hour ago. And it's I, a I, good I, problem to have, but they got to figure it out at some point. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a beautiful problem to have. But I, I, the problem is that Roger Banias is so good at doing everything exactly. that I, I love him in, through the middle of the park. I mean, I just I love everything about his game. So it's, it's the the there are advantages to small to playing Smalling in the middle as well of the of the back three because with Smalling, you know, you have that covered. You know, you know, that's he's always going to drop deep and, and have everyone's back from the middle of the pitch, and, and he can move to the right or the left. So defensively, it would be great to have Smalling there as the leader, right in the centre. But Roger Banias offers so much in every single department that he can do so much damage to, to the opponent from the middle. It's, it's hard to, to say which one's better. Um, my, my ideal lineup right now, surprisingly, would have to be uh, Smalling, Ibanez, Kumbula, and Mancini is the other one out right now. Wow. Nick, what about you? See, uh, it's hard for me to push Mancini to the sideline so quickly. I am a fan of his. Um, mm. But I think you'll see a lot of rotation with the three younger guys. I think Smalling will be the kind of main fixture for Fonseca. I think with the amount of games that they're going to have to play between uh, Serie A, Europa League, get those midweek games, I think you'll see a fair amount of rotation. But I think uh, Sean brings up a good point that Ibanez has been so good, it's hard to remove him from the lineup too, too often. So I think you'll see more Mancini and Kumbala splitting time than – Ibanez. I think Ibanez will play a little bit more than those two, and I think Smalling will end up being a fixture as long as he's healthy because uh, Fonseca clearly value, values him, and he presents that leadership standpoint that the other guys might not yet. Sure. Well, this next question is uh, not one I want to ask, but given everything we've been through over the past 10 years, it's one we have to ask. So is Ibanez already the new Marquinhos? Is this it? Is he going to be gone 
greener pastures next year. Would we be wearing the red, white, and blue of PSG, Sean? Yes. Anyway, there's no way in hell that Roman could keep it. <laughs> I, I wanted to be decisive. You, you say that we we have problems making predictions, me and Stephen, so I just wanted to say yes. <laughs> well, no, when I, I hope out, not, though. No, 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 no. I sent out those questionnaires. Who's going to be leading goal scorer? You just give me a name. You don't give me a name. Yeah, I don't give you a goal scorer. Amongst us, who want to <laughs> what the over/under is, what parlays they should play. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it, you're, you're saying it's a fait accompli. He's gone June 2020. How, how could he not be? I, I mean, he's, he's just, just too good. His ACL, knock on wood. Yeah, I, I may, let me be clear. I hope yeah, not. I really not, hope. I'm not wishing. <laughs> I hope, no, no. I, I, I hope he doesn't move. I hope, obviously, I hope that he stays in Roma, but he, he's. He's too good, in my opinion. That's, that's what, what can I say? <laughs> so that that's our lot in life. Is there anything the Freakins can do to change that? Do you think? Uh well, if, you know, if you could get Toyota to to hand over a hundred million a season for being the back sponsor of the shirt, then that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I think it comes down to money too. I mean, as good as he is, if you know you need to make up that plus Valenza come next summer to clear the debts you have to look at our most valuable assets and he is clearly one of the most valuable assets. If he stays healthy, um, if Zaniolo is the main building block, you don't want to sell him. Plus he's coming off an injury. So his value will be down a bit. So, you know, I hope he stays too, but he might be the most valuable player on the market next summer, which might spell his fate to go to a bigger club elsewhere. And then I wonder if the Kumbula signing was almost them hedging their bets with a, a third Ooh. young center back yeah. where they know that Ibanez might have to be the one that goes. And then you have Smolin, Kumbula, and Mancini next year and exactly. sign maybe a fourth center back that uh, either a veteran or a, someone who's maybe not at that level. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, like when we had the Atlanta deep dive, we, we looked at it and we saw that how Atlanta had actually they'd gotten away with selling Mancini um, Caldara mm-hmm. and they, they had Palomino, Toloi and Jim City in the background for a few seasons you know, they, they weren't necessarily first choice but they were always in rotation and so you never lost that continuity when it was time for them to step in and uh, exactly as you're saying there Stephen you know, like that, that could be what the, the hand they're playing this, year, this season with Kumbula So Sean very, very quickly just give us um, just a quick layman's term of what are they facing financially next year it's really hard to tell you right now because there's, I mean, there's probably going to be so many games being played on the on the accounting sheet, and I'm not even I'm not even that strong at finance myself. But uh, it, as far as I understood, we came into the summer needing to clear 130 million euros minimum uh, in, in terms of financial fair play profit, which is not. A, you know, straight cash profit. It's it's actually less than that. Like for example, if you sell Patrick Schick, as we have for was it twenty seven million or something like that, yeah, um, we only cleared twelve million profit around that around that number on on the balance sheet in terms of FFP. So right. um, it's it's looking tough. You know, I, I think uh, I think that the real hard one is actually Jengis Unders mm-hmm. move turning out to be just only a loan uh, with an option. Um, it would have been, as much as I'm a fan of Under, and some people will be happy that he could come back, uh, I'd be one of them. But uh, we really could have done without being a permanent deal because that would have cut it down to about 67, 70 million left. Um, so right now we're, we're left with 
counting down to next summer, having to find that. And don't forget that expenses will grow up this year as well. We, you know, we'll be running the same wage bill, more or less. Uh, we don't have the, the income to, to justify that wage bill. So we'll be running more into the red right, this, this, uh, this year. So it's, the number's going to go back up again. And uh, we're really left on the free kids trying to find something away from the football pitch to you know, rabbit up the hat to get out of this situation. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty stark. Thank you for that. <laughs> so, so we talked about Mayoral. We talked about Smalling. Um, what else do you think the team needs right now, Sean, before the fifth? What are some positions or some players that they might need to tighten things up? I'll be happy with a decent right back. So, you know, right back who can take on the ball and the man uh, who's not afraid of physical one-on-ones and uh, who's got, you know, a decent sense of positioning. I'll be happy with that. Well, you know who my vote would be? Fabian Santons from Mets. Oh, yes. Yes, your guy. Well, you speak a little bit of French. You speak a bit of French too, right? Yeah. What's well, French is, a, French is actually my first language, but okay. don't, don't tell anybody that because I'm not used to speaking anymore. But yeah, Fabien Santons. Yeah. yeah, there you go, Matt. So I've been making it a point to keep track of him. He is their top-rated player so far. They're not doing terribly well, but he seems like he's uh, pretty dynamic going both ways. So that's yeah. just wishful thinking from my part. But we've seen this morning, we saw uh, Diogo Delo. They tried to throw into, um, was it Manchester yeah. So and now, now the talk is of, uh, I think it's Fosumen, says his name. Yep. Yeah. So he's also Dutch, but Zillow, 21 years old from Portugal. Looks like he can play a variety of positions. Um, what does that spell for Bruno Parrish then, or Rick Karsdorf? The well, Parrish is being linked. Parrish is being linked with a, a move to Cagliari right now, so he 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 might be on the way out, but we'll see. And we've heard that a dozen times about Fazio and Jesus over this last uh, week or so. Um, yeah, we'll, well see. They- they straight up excommunicated Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awkward. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought I said Stephen first. I apologize if I didn't. So, Steve, what positions or players do you think they need to tighten things up for the rest of this year? Yeah, as long as Smalling and Meyer all go through, um, that shows up those positions. Um, I think midfield is set the way it is. I know there were some rumors early on about Cristante swaps and things like that. Those things have all seemed to die down. So I think the only other position, like Sean said, is really right back. Um, it seems like with the Pedro signing, they have enough depth up front. Uh, and hopefully maybe late in the year, you get a little Zaniolo sighting if they need a little push late in the year. But um, I think the main thing is it maybe get a right back and then try to move one or two of those uh, kind of dead weight players if they can. I know Fazio is the one that's been uh, linked recently with Sampdoria. Maybe that move goes through to just clear up a little salary and get that off the books. Um, Perotti's been rumored, but nothing seems to have happened uh, from Turkey lately. Um, who knows what's going on with Olsen because he's kind of just sitting there. I figured they would at least have right. loaned him out by now, even if they couldn't sell him, loan him out because, you know, with Lopez and Mirante, I don't, and he hasn't even dressed these last two games, Olsen. He's basically the fourth keeper at this point. At he's least a, he's another excommunicado. Ex- he's been yeah. training separately. Yeah. I mean, at least get him a loan deal somewhere. You got to figure there's some kind of market for a keeper somewhere, but yeah, I think even more than buying someone else, as long as they get the center back and strikers, just trying to clear out a couple of those players. Juan Jesus is just a stubborn guy. And, you know, God bless him for making his 3 million euros or whatever it is to just train well, separately and say he's a Roma player, I guess, at this point. But, you know, you got to move something. 
Yeah, you brought it up. So let, let's talk about the goalkeeper. So we've seen Antonio Morante for the first, excuse me, the first two matches. Um, no sign of Paulo Lopez, but there was some whispers this morning that they're just sort of trying to get his head right and he might come back after the break to earn a start. Uh, Sean, what do you make uh, Roma's goalkeeping mess right now? <laughs> well, this is more of a question. This is more of a question for you to answer. I can tell you want to unload on this, Brent, because we we saw in the in the pre pre show notes it was like we're going to talk about transfers, and it, it was like Smalling centre back, and then attacked on the end was GK question mark. <laughs> and most people are worried about right back and centre back right now, but I can tell you want to unload about Paulo Lopez. So, what do you think? I think the Fullbacks are a perpetual need. Uh, so that's an evergreen concern, I guess we can say. Uh, yeah, like, I, like I, I said like a month or so ago, I had no sort of um, angle or bias, biases, bias, whatever, against uh, Paul Lopez. Uh, but then he had a couple of sort of cock-ups and made just sort of um, a few passive plays. And I just got curious. And that's when I started to look. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then Pandora's box opened. Well, it just wasn't, it wasn't even that good. Um, in terms statistically speaking at least and so what we saw in Rome this year was really who he was uh, based on the prior year so I'm just sort of flummoxed by how they paid 23 and a half million for him I I just couldn't wrap my head around that and now it's like well what do you do Uh, the beginning of the summer we saw lots of rumors about him wanting to leave and we saw some um, Alessio Cragno rumors and things like that um I, I I don't know what to make of him. I'm shocked that he wasn't going to start. I figured given how much they paid for him, how young he is and how much he's making that they would sort of roll with it, sort of ride or die until he made another massive. Well, have you, have you written him off or, or do you, do you see him being able to improve? No, I've written him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to agree. That's why, that's why I look, I thought, is this just sort of a blip on the Raiders having trouble adjusting? But then I looked at his stats with, I think it was Real Betis. It's, Exactly the same. Some of them were yeah. worse this year than last year. Like in terms of all the things to me that the trouble me most about them are the aggression stats. So coming off his line, punches, claims, um, and then just a simple shot stopping ability on some statistical measures like the plus minus. Uh, I can't remember the exact term. It's one of those expected goals plus minus things. So essentially he's not stopping shots that other keepers would. Um, yeah. There's a lot of debate. Some people don't dig too deeply into statistics, particularly when it pertains to goalkeepers. But I was kind of shocked by that. But again, it, he's just an albatross around their neck, so I don't know what they do. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, the fact that he didn't get a start in these first two matches is telling because Mirante is like that veteran backup. You use him if your if your guy main guy's hurt. You know, maybe he spells spells him in a Coppa Italia match or something, or even Europa League. He's like um, a pickup truck of goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah, you know, and or Laurie. You know, I wanted Cranio last summer when he was initially linked to Roma and they ended up buying Lopez, who I didn't know anything about. And I assume the reason they went for a profile like Lopez was more because of the distribution, the way Fonseca likes to play out of the back. But mm. I think in in some ways, I don't know if it's managers or even some fans now get, you know, enamored with that buildup from the back perspective. But at the same time, a classic shot stopper like Cranio might be better off sometimes. Just keep the ball out of the back of the net. That should be the goalkeeper's first job. Yeah, and if he's not yeah. doing that, if he's not getting those punches, like Bren said, or being aggressive and coming out, then what's the point if he can make a pass from the back if he can't stop the goals that you need to stop? And I think yeah. that Lazio mistake was the one that really messed him up mentally because after that is when he really started looking, I guess, like the player we've seen for the past yeah, half the season. A goalkeeper yeah. could sort of be akin to a closer in baseball. If you make one mistake, right. 
might linger with it. But you bring up an interesting point. I wonder, we're talking about shot stopping and aggression versus passing and distribution. Which one of those is more amenable to coaching owner? Which one could they fix quicker? Because I, I, yeah, I'm just really shocked that he didn't play. I just thought, you know, they're paying that much. They got to give it a go. But, yeah. It's, it's a good question. Though. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, there are, I, you know, one good thing about Rome is that they go into detail about this stuff quite quite extensively. They get they drag uh, former goalkeeper coaches from the club out and get them in front of the mic almost every year to give their opinion. And uh, it was this year it was um, ah, I've forgotten his name, but it was, it was the goalkeeping coach under Fabio Capello's uh, Scudetto winning team. He came out and he he was really defense defensive about you know, he launched the defense about. Paulo Lopez and, and how he was worth the effort. So that's his opinion. But what what do you guys think? I mean, Stephen, you're gonna you're gonna weigh in. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say in terms of coaching, it's hard to teach aggression. I mean, I think that's more of an innate thing. So if he's not aggressive coming out against a big striker or something, that might be hard to teach. Um, but again, if in even in terms of shot stopping, in order to be a professional keeper at this level and made it to La Liga and said, yeah, he's got to have the reflexes and the ability to stop shots. I wonder if it's just a positioning thing, maybe making the right decisions, those kind of things maybe can be worked on. But it's, it's a great question um, from someone who hasn't played keeper or coached keepers or anything. I'm, I'm not quite sure which one's easier, but I just think some of those innate things like the mental aspects of being aggressive might be harder to, to teach. Yeah, yeah and I just... As you're you, speaking, you were, you were a goaltender, weren't you? Yeah. Um, my, my formal training was in hockey. I came to football later in life. Um, so I had some buddies who – I went to a small um, college. So I had some buddies who were on the actual uh, university football team, soccer team. Um, but they all, they all quit within a year because it was just a small college. You're not going anywhere with it. Uh, yeah. So they played rec league. They knew I played goalie in hockey, so they wanted me to play. So I started playing. Um, and there are a lot of similarities to it because it's just sort of you have one job to do and it's mostly about anticipation, reading angles and knowing when to be aggressive. So I, I can make an understanding off that. But as Steve was speaking, I hopped, hopped over to um, the Portuguese page on who scored looking at Gil Vicente. And I noticed that Daniel Fusado has not played yet. Mm. <laughs> so we might be up a river here uh, if he's not yeah. even on his loan so I don't know what they're going to do a goalkeeper we'll just chalk it up there with uh, right back as a perpetual mess uh, so Stephen uh, can you stand up for one second there let's see the shirt you're wearing what's he wearing oh that's the nice one what year yeah. was yeah um, I don't remember what year it was it has Marco Mota on the back um, this is one of the eBay specials it's not the authentic because this is back when I was in college I'm assuming it was the late 2000s and I couldn't afford like the $90 kappas or that's they were still- probably hard to find at that point that's still a pretty dodgy purchase. Yeah, well, um, not, not to take an excuse from you, but they they weren't ninety dollars back then. They were something like fifty or something. But yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> and I think if they I were hard me. to find too. So I would get them from uh, eBay. But even this brings us back to that whole point about the perpetual needs at right back and left back. I thought Marco Mota was going to solve oh, those right back issues. He yeah, looked like yeah, the real yes. deal that one year. Oh, yes, and, he, looked, um, he looked he looked like a, I don't know what he looked like a revelation in his, yeah. in his debut season, and then mm-hmm. just nothing. Yeah. That's why whenever I see a youth player and like his biggest sort of uh, plaudit is that he was the captain of the like under 21s. That means nothing to me because I think Marco Mato, that was like his biggest claim to fame. But yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, obviously, you can't see it. So Sean is wearing, or excuse me, Steve's wearing the white kit with the red and yellow uh, horizontal stripes. It always reminded me of like a Tour de France kit that you see on the bikes. I love those ones. So that was like when we had John Anarisa and Luca Tone. 
uh, Tony. So that might have been uh, 2009, 2010, excuse me, 2009, 2010, actually. Yeah, it was somewhere yeah. around there, or 08, 09, or 09, 09, 10, somewhere around there, yeah. Back in the wind, it, back when there was only you, one spot. If you guys want to start throwing fruit at me, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, Stephen, because my first study I shot was a knockoff shot, um, but you, you guys will probably be angry to find out which club it was, so uh, maybe I should keep that one to myself for now. No, let's, let's hear it. It was Inter Milan. Well, mine, mine, mine also wasn't um, a Roma kit. Mine was a Bobo Vietti uh, Inter shirt from back. Uh, there you are. So we're, we're both. I like Vietti. We outnumbered Brent on the Islanders support, and now we, we're Inter Milan fans as well. Oh man! You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we record, I got a, I got an Islanders surprise. I'll show you if I can find it. Okay. Uh, I remember what my first football kit was. Um, I think I had a Brian McBride USA jersey back when I used to follow. USA. Okay. All right. So uh, we have four days. So we'll hopefully we'll come back at you with a either a deadline or a transfer wrap up um, early next week. Uh, so we got the time here now. So coming up this weekend on October third, we actually have two Roma matches. Um, the women are jumping back into it against Hellas Verona. I think um, we'll touch on that later. Uh, but the big one in terms of this particular podcast is stream of talk is Roma versus Udinese in the round three fixture. Uh, last season, Roma took the first match 4-0 on October 30th, thanks to goals from Zaniolo, Smalling, Cliver, and a call-off penalty. And then in July, they actually lost 2-0, thanks to Kevin Lasagna and a Nestorovsky goal. Um, Steve, what do you make of this match? Udinese is in a world of trouble right now. Mm-hmm. Um, will this be a walkover for Roma? They certainly need the three points. Um, I don't know if it'll be a walkover because nothing seems to be a walkover for Roma, but coming off the way they performed against Juve, you would think they're in a good position to win this match. I mean, I was just looking back at Udinese. Besides losing to Spezia this past weekend, um, uh, up a man, no less. They were down one nothing. Spezia lost a man and still scored a second goal to win 2 nothing. They lost to Hellas the week before, one nothing, and then they're two last preseason friendlies were one nothing losses to Venezia and Spal, who are both in Serie B right now. So they haven't scored a, a, a goal against a Serie B or higher team now in four matches. Um, mm. So Roma's defense has been pretty good so far. Um, you know, they gave the one goal in open play to Ronaldo, but they held Hellas in check. So I would think even with the three young center backs, they should be pretty good defensively as long as they don't give DePaul too many opportunities. Um, and then you would hope that Roma could score a couple goals and win this one. I mean, it, a win is much needed after only getting one point from the first two matches after that penalty they got. So uh, it'd be hurtful not to go in with at least four points into the international break. This is a must win for them. And I think this is the year Udinese might finally go down. Um, it just <laughs> seems like it, it might be the year, especially if they do move to Paul before the transfer deadline, which is still a possibility. You're right. I'm, I'm looking at their, their roster right now. It is um, quite an amalgam of, uh, journeyman and players you've never heard of. Although they do have Stefano Okaka, and we're just yep. speaking, we were speaking of goalkeepers. They have Juan Musso. We've seen his name bandied about with other clubs before. Yeah, um, he's a good player. Yeah, mm-hmm. they going. Um, Sean, what do you think about this weekend against the Zebras? Win, lose, or draw? Uh, I think I think we're going to win. Udinese are a club that really confused me. I I still like the that Bermuda Triangle, huh? That because of the stripes, that's why zebras are striped. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they're just the, the music triangle of Serie A right now. I don't understand what they're trying to achieve. I looked at their transfer market activity this summer. They haven't signed anyone. They've just 
brought players back. Um, old names like Raida Matos. Uh, who else? Uh, they brought back Roberto Pereira from the Premier League. Oh, they did? Um, it's, yeah. It's sort of like, uh, it's like a curtain call for their former Udinese players coming back for a second, you know, one last dance. But I, I just don't understand what they're trying to achieve with the club. What, what are their ambitions? It's just, it's a strange club where no one does anything and yet somehow they're still around. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I think ever since Pozzo has bought Watford, um, right? The Pozzo family is the owners. They bought Watford and yeah. they kind of just neglected Udinese as like the ugly stepchild, even though they were the firstborn. And yeah. they've just great, some great talents have come through, like Musso and DePaul and some others, and they just haven't done anything with them. Exactly. Yeah, this used to be one of my favorite fixtures when it was um, Potti versus Antonio Di Natale. I always enjoyed yeah. watching play against each other it was always sort of the, the underlying story that maybe they had a chance at Toto once upon a time. Um, it's, a, it's a shame Jimmy isn't on here because his family are from Trieste, which is just next door to Udine. So he, he's the closest thing we have to an Udinese fan here. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, on the pitch, I, I see it as their, their centre-backs are really bad in the ball, notoriously bad. They give away the possession all the time. So uh, we'll be keeping them in the half and you just got to watch out for the long ball and obviously keep the pool uh, honest because he's capable of anything on his day and you've got it. You've got it in the bag. Right. I, um, I am going to agree. I, I think this will be a pretty solid win. I hope they certainly need it. We can't afford to just have, what is it? One point for three matches. That'd be a disaster. Uh, okay. So I think we're pushing on the hour mark here. So let's sort of tidy things up. So when I, um, sent out an email to the guys. I just sort of put it across the Romaverse episode two. Whenever I hear the word episode two, it just makes me think of Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, and then it makes me think of that, um, I think it was Tal- Talib Kweli line. I go through episodes two, like Attack of the Clones. I was like that. Was- <laughs> uh, I just want to ask you sort of, a, sort of a lighthearted question to wrap things up. If you could clone one player from recent Roma history, so the past 30 years, apart from the obvious, apart from Totti and De Rossi, who would it be and why, Steve? Oh, um, from a player since let's say since like 2000. That's a tough one. Go to Sean first. I'm going to think about this one. Sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did, in fairness, put them on the spot. This was not on our agenda. Yeah, but right off the top of my head, first thought that came to mind is actually Luca Tony. Yeah, yeah, we could really do a, a, a tall striker who uh, was su- really surprisingly good at giving people the, the slip. Um, you know, he could. He could put, stick the ball through their legs. Um, he could, and I loved his goal celebration. Really, I, I yeah, in uh, on in when I was in school or in in uni, I used to steal his goal celebration every week. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. When they signed him, I was um, working in a, a typical office like cubicle farm, and I got really excited. And I think I he might have been my wallpaper that day because I was so excited. And this woman I used to work with um, named Emily, I think. It lived in Italy for quite a bit, and she was, like, fawning over him. She was so in love with him. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, he was a good-looking guy. You can't, there's no arguments about that. Yeah, for sure. And he, he was silky smooth on the pitch as well. For such a yeah. tall guy. I was so he pissed was, off when they couldn't uh, retain him. That was, like, the perfect player for that moment in time. They needed him, too. Exactly. Um, exactly. Steve, I can see you're still thinking. Yeah, or the screen's frozen. I can't tell if he's thinking. Uh, for me, I guess I would go over the past 20 years, who would I take? Um, I don't know why he didn't really do much for Rome, but I always really loved Ludovic Julie. I don't know why. I think that's when I was sort of in my nascent footballing days. And he was like, oh, he's coming from, I think, Barcelona, PSG. I'm like, oh, he must be good. And he was just this really diminutive kind of player. Um, yeah. 
always like the number fourteen for whatever reason. That's what I always wear any sport I play. If I go through the big, be my top choice. He is a good pick, but I problem for me is that I saw him play in his Monaco days, and he was really, really good back then. He was like he was like yeah. how Papu Gomez is now for Atlanta. Yeah, we didn't, um, get, we didn't get the best of them, that's for sure. No, we didn't. Yeah, exactly. I also really like Jeremy Menez. He was one of my favorites too. I like the dribblers, I guess. Steve, I never. Yeah, I mean, um, based on not so much based on need on this team. I was always a Philippe Mexes fan, so as a player that I liked, I, I always did like Mexes out of side of the original, uh, the obvious players like Totti and De Rossi. But in terms of need on this team, maybe, uh, maybe Allison, <laughs> because uh, we were talking earlier about the need at, at goalkeeper. That's a position of need, I guess, if Lopez doesn't pan out. So. I don't know if you'd call him an obvious because he's only here for one year, but in terms of positions in need, I think that's one of them. There aren't too many right backs in the last 20 years that have stood out. Uh, maybe a Panucci just because of his versatility, but. Um... Oh, you didn't like Cicinho? Did you see him play, Stephen, at a time? Who was that? Cicinho. Cicinho. Oh, yes. That, yeah, that was the beginning of my time. Uh, as a fan, yes, a senior. That's why I'm always a little wary when we get someone from Madrid. It's, it's exciting, yeah. but then you never know how it's going to pan out. Yeah, those players from Madrid always, like, in Barca, they always say, oh, they're coming from one of those big Spanish clubs, and then it's buyer beware sometimes. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys, I think we'll, we'll put a pin in it there. So that's uh, episode two of Across the Romaverse. Um, so coming up this weekend, uh, like I said, we have two matches that we'll be covering. Um, I didn't mean to sort of uh, gloss over the women's one, but they've been on break for like three weeks, so we got to refamiliarize ourselves with what's been going on. Uh, but if you're an East Coaster like me, they kick off at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday uh, against Hellas Corona, but um, that is a must win for the women. They are currently in sixth place with four points, so uh, remember, reminder, the women's league, the top two qualify for the Champions League, and that league is very stratified so if you're not within a point or two shouting distance at the top you're pretty much um shit out of luck so we'll hope the women can get back to their winning ways and then later in the day obviously we just spoke about it roma plays udinese uh so we'll come back hopefully next week either immediately before or immediately after the transfer window is closed to wrap things up um once again thank you for listening and yeah um Give us a good rating uh, if you want. If you liked it, give us. We're always open to feedback because this is new to all of us. So, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.